Today on News 4 at 4, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. Tonight, it's the Voice Live Rounds, and Nick Jonas wants his first win. Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your faves. The Voice Live Rounds, tonight on NBC. And black folks are so conditioned that even if it's a room for the black folks and we say the word white people, we whisper it. It can be, uh, we, we can be in, in the middle of the hood, White folk ain't nowhere near, but we white people instead of saying white people. <laughs> and, you know, it's like white people know that they're white. Yeah. So we don't have to whisper. I was in um, my black civic engagement studies class. And I remember my professor was talking about Kwanzaa. <laughs> and the only thing that I knew about Kwanzaa was the correlation between the episode of Martin where he always said the term emoja and if you know me I know most people like oh this dude has a Martin reference for every story that he tells but I was sitting in class that fall and I was being taught about Kwanzaa over Christmas and of course it's civic engagement it's black studies it's black family so you're going to learn about your history you're going to learn these things about where you come from and who you are and how to be strong and in your black skin and Kwanzaa was interesting to me. Uh, I mean, when you think Kwanzaa, most people think of the dashikis, the beaded necklaces and things of that nature, the red, the green, the black. I didn't know what it mean. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it stood for. I didn't know anything about it. And everything that I thought I knew about it was wrong. Like, do you can you celebrate Christmas if you celebrate Kwanzaa? Does Kwanzaa make you like a black <laughs> black panther or a Rasta? Like, I knew nothing about it. So for me to learn about it it was just like it was enlightening I had no idea that learning about it would kind of open me up and ever since I've turned 30 I've been more in tune with myself my blackness of course you can attribute that to everything that's going on in America as well I think it's just something that this self-awareness this this black skin the trouble that it brings but the pride that comes along with it and to learn about Kwanzaa, it just felt only right to learn about something that a black man out of California created in 1968. I'm telling this story because on today's show, I have my black studies professor, Dr. Safisha Nazinga Hill. Her government name is Pamela Hill, but don't you dare call her that. She's my sister soldier, my good friend. And I don't say that just because I passed our class with an A. Uh, we have created a friendship. It's an honor to have her on this show, a pleasure to have her on this show. Also on the show, we have a good friend of mine, Joby Edwards from Rockwall, Texas. He'll be coming out today to help us discuss white privilege and help us discuss societal issues in America today and possibly come up with a solution. I think this is one of the best shows that we've had in a long time, and it, it is a pleasure to have both of these people on the show, men and women. And this is one of the greatest shows I say we had to wrap up the, the, the first year of the reality is what filter becomes extinct. 
So with no further ado, we're going to jump in. And you guys enjoy the show. Let's get to it. Safisha Nzinga Hill. Right, she had to correct me on that before we got on the mic. How you doing today? I'm wonderful, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Queen. I'm doing all right. Then I got the homeboy, Joe B. Edwards in the studio. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's a little different. Usually I'm listening to this as I'm driving home, not talking. And I'm just going to let Dr. <laughs> Hill know. I'm going to call her Dr. Hill because I'm not going with that first part. <laughs> you don't want to try it. No, I'm good. I don't want to mess nothing up. That's what's up, man. That's respect, though. Man, we... Uh, we're excited to be in the studio today. I know everybody's chilling and getting ready for the holidays and everything, trying not to spend too much money on gifts and things of that nature. But uh, we're glad you're listening to us today. We got, Like I said, we got a great show lined up for you. And we're going to be talking about everything Kwanzaa and Christmas. We kind of dived into it last week. But I told you last week we were going to save a lot of that because uh, Dr. Hill was coming in the studio to kind of break it down to us, let us know how it originated, where it came from, um, and, and what it means and how you can celebrate it. And you could be black and celebrated, and you could possibly be white and celebrated. Is that true? Of course. <laughs> of course. So, Joby, you can celebrate Kwanzaa too, man. Hey, I'm all about Kwanzaa. I mean, I don't know if anybody's a Seinfeld nut, but they had Festivus. Yeah. And I really think that they stole the a lot of Festivus from Kwanzaa. <laughs> Kwanzaa. And I'm, I'm very interested to hear about Kwanzaa. Well, that's crazy because that's one of the things that uh, I know Dr. Hill was talking to us about in, in our class when we were going over this past semester, how it kind of had been taken from blacks to now be marketed, you know, and, and to be sold and people kind of mistook, mistake, uh, mistaked it for something else. You know, a lot of people thought it was like, I know for myself, I thought it was something created like in the 1500s. And I know that's my fault, Brian. I'm gonna have to edit that. I got it on the timer. I, he was getting ready to take a picture and all I heard was beeping like it was a bum. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for me, I thought like Kwanzaa, I really thought it was something that honestly like was originated from like Africa and was from the 1500s and so on and so forth like I didn't know that it had been so recent and until taking Dr. Hill's class and she was able to inform me about the red the green the black uh where it comes from and the professor who who um you know who started it out in California but before we dive into that I wanted to get to I want you guys to get to know my guest a little bit more so Dr. Hill can you let them know what it is that you do and why you do it yes thank you um Dr. Sister Dr. Safisha Nzinga Adele K. Hill <laughs> I am a professor of Africana Studies I teach at Cedar Valley College and also teach at University of Texas at Arlington in the minor program in African American Studies. It is my passion. I also uh, serve as Director of Education for an organization in uh, Oak Cliff, Texas called the Act of Change. Okay. And check us out on Facebook. We teach culture. We actually offer free did I say free? Free, free black study courses for the community yeah. every semester. We just completed a 12-week course. We'll begin again in the spring in February, every Monday at 7 p.m., a free course yeah. in black studies. And, uh, again, it is my passion. I've uh, been a student of black studies all my life, and I'm very blessed to be able to teach the history, the culture of our people, because it's very significant. And I also always say it is the part of American history left out of the textbooks. That's true. We often get very confused or confused, as I call it. Basic information <laughs> that people or history suggests, for example, Rosa Parks was not sitting in the white section of the bus. Yeah. Did you hear me? She was not sitting in the white section. She was sitting in the front row of the colored section. Yeah. 
So history gives us the impression that she was where she was not supposed to be when she was. Correct, correct. See, that's the thing that I liked when, when I took this class because it was so many things that I, I didn't know about. You know, it's like you, you kind of, as a black person, you hear these things, you watch TV, you learn these things, you don't really read these things. And when you hear things, it's kind of like I tell people all the time at church, with churches, it's like if your pastor tells you, he could say whatever he wants over the pulpit, but if you don't go home and open up the Bible and get a knowledge of it for yourself, you just go off what he's saying, and it could be his interpretation of the word. So for me, like even hearing this Rosa Parks thing, that's the thing that you would have thought. She was sitting on the white part of the bus where she shouldn't have been sitting, and they, that's what caused the confrontation, so on and so forth. But for me, I took from your class one of those things. It, it honestly... It made me look at myself and re-examine myself to where it was like, okay, I know I'm a black man and I know about my people, but I didn't know shit. And I think I told you that. I was like, you know, the good thing I like about this class was you were straightforward what you wanted to say. You were straightforward what you wanted us to learn. And you made sure that we knew it. And the thing that I told you at the last day of class, you were like, what did you take from this class? Of course, I told you, I was like, it could have been a little bit more test because I feel like the young kids are getting off easy. But I felt like the thing that you do is you do empower people. Like you said at the beginning of the semester, some kids walk in not knowing their identity, walking in with their heads down, and they walk out with their heads up, not going out to say, I'm going to shoot Whitey or anything like that. And thank you for that's the home. A, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, at least for today. Exactly. But, you know, it's like you empower us to say, know who you are. It's okay to be cool with everybody else, but know yourself because we are left out of so many things. So this class, for me, I think I told you in class, I was like, it allowed me to be able to, if I have a dispute or an argument or I have a conversation with somebody else who's talking about black culture, you gave me facts. You gave me analytics and statistics to be able to back up what I'm saying. A lot of times, a lot of people talk about things that they really don't know. They heard about it on the news or they've heard somebody else talk about it, so they jump on the bandwagon. We talked about the protesting, how a lot of people protest, but they only protest to be in pictures and to post it on social media, but they don't know the act that they're actually really trying to put out exactly. there. Exactly. And, you know... Here's the thing. Martin Luther King was not a dreamer. Dreamers are not assassinated. Yeah. Dreamers are not dangerous. Yeah. What I have my students do is to go back and read. Did I say read? Read the so-called speech of I have a dream. Because what he says is no justice, no peace. He says it would be fatal, I'm paraphrasing here, to think the Negro is going to sit back and let you keep beating the hell out of us. Yeah. No, no. He said there will be a whirlwind of revolt. Yeah. Fatal means death. True. Revolt means to rise, rise up. up yeah. He said no justice, no peace. He said there will be no tranquility, no justice, no peace. So read all we hear, and we'll hear it again in a few weeks. I have a dream. Yeah. We'll hear it on the radio. Yeah. We're here on the tell live vision, yeah. the tell live vision. But if we don't know what it says, like I said, if you don't know, anybody can tell you anything. If you don't know anything about yourself, anybody can tell you anything. Yeah. So make sure that you know who and who's you are. And that's very important. I know Gary says that a lot of times, uh, one of my calls on the shows, he was like, they a lot of things, because they basically, it kind of like Kwanzaa, they use Dr. King to kind of, to rally people, to bring people together, which is good, but at what cost? And they, like, you, like Gary always says, it's the message they sent about Martin Luther King is not his militant side. It's always the whitewash part that makes it seem like all he was was a friendly guy. COINTELPRO said he was the most dangerous man alive. Go back and look at Co. Intel Pro, Co-Intel Pro. Uh, this was the FBI uh, project to study, to watch so-called militant organizations. And they watched groups like the Nation of Islam. They watched the Black Panther Party. They watched Martin Luther King. They bugged him. 
bugged him, like put stuff in his house and listened to him yeah. like they still do today. So for those <laughs> of us who are clicking on our phones, we know what's up because no. it does. It still happens. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Now, um, I know I, I got you to introduce yourself. I also wanted to introduce Joby so people will know a little bit more about him. I know I met Joby. Uh, we both work in the same field as far as the medical field. And I met Joby. I literally what walked in the office one day. After a couple of months of working at the job and I ran into you and we started talking and it's like, bro, it seems like we've been knowing each other longer than the six to seven months that we've known each other. And I wanted you to tell people uh, what it is that you do and what it is that you love about media, because I know you tell me about how you used to be in this and you have a passion for it. So, yeah, so my um, going into my freshman year, my high school had started a magnet program and media was part of it. And there was about 300 kids that applied and there was they were only going to take 35 kids. And I remember walking into the studio and just like this board right here, I'm seeing flashing lights and little like ADD kicked in. I was like, well, what happens if I do this? What yeah. happens if I do that? <laughs> and as soon as I said that to the person who was um, interviewing me, they said, we want you here because you do want to know that. You're not afraid to learn. Yeah. And I kind of went through it in college, but um, it really doesn't pay a lot of money. Uh, and I got a wife and some kids and I like <laughs> fancy things. So I kind of had to go a different way, but I still try to, when I can play with it. And once you actually gave me your card and yeah. said this, and I was just like, man, you know, this was really, to me, five years ago before podcasts were real popular, radio was kind of on the downslope as a media. And yeah. now I think with podcasts, it's basically TiVo for radio. That's true. You can listen to it whenever you want. I have a 45-minute commute to work. I listen to your show. I listen to a bunch of other shows. And I think it's it's really great what podcasts are doing for media because it also gives the little person the voice where yeah. you don't have to worry about is ESPN or CNN going to fire me because of what, what I, I say. say. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. Now, so is media or some force of media a good pastime for you, like listening to podcasts? Oh, yeah. I mean, listening to podcasts is definitely a good one. And actually, on the way up here, and Dr. Hill, you can, can, can tell me if I say this name wrong, but I believe it was Ace Rudolph. In 1941, he was he was also a big organizer with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, there's a show on the Travel Channel called um, Mysteries at the Museum, and they were talking about FDR. And in 1941, when we started gearing up to get into the World War II, um, the only jobs that were really given to African Americans were the low-paying, unstable jobs. And he had, was setting up a march to march up to Washington that was going to be just like the march he set up in '63. He was trying to do it in 41, but uh, cooler heads prevailed when he actually spoke to Miss uh, Roosevelt and uh, actually learned that today just by watching a TV show yeah. that wasn't, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians. It I was about to say, what do I do now about Martin Luther King and Ace Rudolph? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you clearly have black friends. <laughs> I, I have a couple. And, you know, I, I like history yeah. because I do believe that we are doomed to repeat it if we do not pay attention to certain things. That's and very true. So I tried my best to pay attention. I'm going to tell you I'm not quite a smart guy, but I try to be one. Hey, we all try to do something. Uh, now, Dr. Savisha, what the hell is Kwanzaa? Kwanzaa is not Black Christmas. Let me say that again. Kwanzaa <laughs> is not Black Christmas. A lot of people are misinformed, and they assume that it's Black Christmas. Kwanzaa is an African-American cultural holiday. It is celebrated December 26th through January 1st. It was first established in 1968 by Dr. Milana Karinga, okay. who is now professor of black studies, chair of the, uh, the program there at Long Beach at California. And um, 
it came about, uh, there were some things that really, really pushed it forward. One, of course, the civil rights movement, the black power movement, the beginning of black studies. These are things that really pushed this Kwanzaa holiday. And Kwanzaa is a Swahili term that means first fruits. And now it's celebrated in various parts of the nation. Yeah all over the world, uh, but it originated in California, and there are seven principles. And these principles are spoken in both Swahili and in English. Umoja. Emoja. Which is unity. I remember that from Martin. I don't know if anybody yes. else watches Martin, but when, <laughs> when I heard Emoja, when you said it in class, I was like, that's what Martin used to say. And I mm. never meant it. I never, yeah. I, I never understood what it meant. I was just like... Okay, it all makes sense. It was emoja, and what was the other words you gave me there on that book? Um, emoja means unity. Kunji chakalia. Kunji chakalia. Kunji chakalia. Kunji chak like chocolate. Yeah. Chakalia. All right. <laughs> it's self determination. All right. And that basically is to uh, name yourself, define yourself without allowing others to do it for you. Because as I also mentioned, is that black folks have been called everything but a child of God. True. We have all these names, and now we think we're niggas because we lost. Yeah. And uh, we try to pretend that it's the term of endearment. It is not. I try not to say it, but I, I want, you know what? To get on that, <clears throat> me and Joby was talking about that. It's hard to not say it. Because you'd be like, man, this nigga be tripping. man, And I call white people nigga. Like when I'm driving, if a white person coming out, this nigga... It's really not that hard to say. You just really got to pay attention. I'm like, man. Trust me. <laughs> okay. See, there's repercussions for you yes. if you say it. I don't have any repercussions outside of people, you know, saying what we say. And and it's one of those things, like, I'm not going to say, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm proud of it, and I'm not going to say I'm ashamed of it. It's just one of those things when people say, well, where did it come from? You just heard people, you know, when you grow up in the hood and you're around the way, yes. you hear people say it. And it, and it no, it shouldn't be a term of endearment because of the significance that it has, and and the and with the name and the meaning behind it. But you have people that debate in the er and the a and things of that nature. But this is because we don't know our yeah. history. See, we don't understand that before they raped your great great grandmama, they call her nigga bitch. Yeah. Before they murdered your great great grandfather and castrated him, they call him a nigga. Yeah. And, you know, we say, well, nigger, nigger. See, and then understand what it does to us because the rap industry, yeah. like the prison industry, has thinking. taken this term and made it more popular. And look who's saying it's playing on the radio. So we think it's okay because we hear it, but we don't understand how it's damaging us. If you have a son, you say, you stupid little nigger. I would never That's say going that. to have an impact True. on that child. True. Whether you think it does or not. And the crazy thing about it is you have, you know, I know, I never really, I never hear white people say it unless it's like a movie or something. But it's like you go to Oak Cliff or the South Side, you hear a lot of Hispanics saying it. And they're saying it to each other. You know what I'm saying? And not to be funny, Hispanics have pretty much kind of taken our culture as well. If, if, even if we're being honest, like every Hispanic that I see, most of them have on Jordans or something like that. They dress in like urban or hip hop. And I'm not going to say I have an issue with that because I don't, but... I wonder, I wish I had a Hispanic in here today to where it's like, where did you get comfortable with saying that? Because, I mean, I guess equivalent for them would be like, what's up, wet back? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a derogatory term that they don't like to be called. But, but they don't call each, each other. other and that's we what are the say. only people who take a term that was used historically to devalue us, to, to make us inhuman. 
and use it as a term of endearment. We are sick. But what about what if somebody says because you have you have the debate where people are like, well, you know what that you know what we took that word from the white people and we made that word and we empowered it. We are sick. We didn't take. Uh, okay, so when I when you saw me, you addressed me probably. You said hello, queen. Yeah. Because you see, I'm a queen. True. You know, there are shirts now that say bitch. You go to some of these stores and you see these, and I was at a store once. I take pictures of things for, for class. And there was a young black woman, and she's on me looking at the shirt. Well, you can't have that shirt. I said, sweetheart, I'm a queen. I'm not a bitch. I wouldn't wear it anyway. Yeah. And I think I messed up because she was like, her face changed. Yeah. Because she probably wondered, what, am I a bitch? Yeah. And a bitch is a female dog yeah. in heat. So, you know, we can easily call each other derogatory names, but we can't seem to call each other brother, brother, sister, queen, king, god, and goddess. But you know the crazy thing, too, we talk about, like, especially I can just speak from a black man's perspective. It's like you see other black dudes in the street, and you be like, what's good, bro? Or you speak to them, and they be like, oh, that's being, why, this nigga friendly. You know, like, and I'm like, well, when did friendly become wrong to speak? Oh, yeah, friendly's bad. Yeah. You can't be friendly, You bro. can't do it anymore. And it's like, like you said, it is, it's kind of sick the way people thought process is. It's just like I saw a friend post something on Instagram last night, and um, she was like, I want a man who is what people call thirsty. You know, they'd be like, oh, he's thirsty. But it's like, well, don't you want a man who's passionate about you, who's so into you that he's chasing after you? He wants you, you know, as opposed to, like, they see it as, oh, this nigga being thirsty. He always calling me, always texting me, always checking on me, like, Back in the day, it used to be caring. I used to, I even talked to somebody one day and I was like, don't you know, like when you watch a movie, it's crazy how when you watch a movie, women will see a man pursue a woman, come to their door with flowers, don't know how they got their address. I know this shit is a little creepy today to do that, but you see it in a movie and you're like, yes, I love that. But if a dude do it to you, he's crazy. They'll even root for women uh, on TV who sleeping with other people's husbands because they have a love relationship scandal. You know what I'm saying? And it's like they love Olivia Pope. But she's basically a, a high class a, a hoe. hoe, a high class. But hoe. people love it. But it's like if somebody was cheating on you with your husband, with your husband, you would be pissed. But it's like you celebrate it on TV. We don't see ourselves as gods and goddesses. That's our problem. Back to the principles. True. Let me finish those right quick. Okay, we have Umoja, unity, Kunjichakalia, self determination, mm-hmm. Ujima, collective Ujima. work and responsibility. Ujama cooperative economics. Ooh, say that one more time. Ujama. 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 That sounds like when somebody's speaking tongue at church. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I can talk about that too. Okay. But that's cooperative uh, uh, economic supporting black businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nia, purpose. Kuumba, creativity and Imani, faith. These are principles that we should live by every day, not just seven days True. during Kwanzaa. True. No, I agree. America, you need a miracle Beyond spiritual I need a real of you I hold a mirror to it These ain't new problems They just old ways I seen one time turn sunshine into Freddie Gray Just another nigga dead Just another nigga dead Send another to the feds you're vested in black studies in the state of black society. What advice would you give men and women that listen to this podcast on giving back and contributing change to their immediate communities? I think the first thing that we must do is understand who and whose we are. Yeah. This requires reading and studying. We don't like to do that. We like to get a quick fix. We like to go to YouTube and pop up something and listen. 
and we assume that just because you're on YouTube that you know what you're talking about. Sure. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to open a book. And the one book that I would recommend that everyone should read is a book called Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery by Dr. Naeem Akbar. You can purchase this book at uh, the Doc Bookshop in Fort Worth, or you can purchase it at Pan-African Connection. I mentioned these two stores because these are black-owned and operated bookstores in black communities. And the book, again, is Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery by Dr. Naeem Akbar, A-K-B-A-R. And we are so consumed. We don't know anything about who we are. And we allow the people to define us through music, through fashion. Uh, We jump on bandwagons uh, without even knowing where the wagon is going and where it's been. And we hate ourselves and I say that because the way that we treat ourselves the way that we define and talk down to us we don't lift us up because it's not cool and see the music industry understands that we put this negative stuff out there and people will begin to act in negative ways if you go back and listen to music that came about at the height of the civil rights movement James Brown said it perfectly he said say it loud I'm what I'm black and I'm proud. I'm black and I'm proud. And he was defining all of these things that people were saying about black folks during that era to stand up and say, say it loud, I'm black and proud. We are afraid to say that today. We are afraid to say black power. We are afraid to be natural. You know, we like to conform because we don't want to offend white folks. You know, we go to work. Uh, uh, and we're we're real nice when when there's a discussion that offends us. We're very quiet. Yeah. And black folks are so conditioned that even if it's a room for the black folks and we say the word white people, we whisper it. Yeah. It can be uh, we we can be in, in the middle of the hood. White folk ain't nowhere near, but we white people instead of saying <laughs> white people. And you know it's like white people know that they're white. Yeah. So we don't have to whisper. Yeah. It's okay. But we just have to be. Um, we have to care more about us. Yeah. We have to care more about who we are. And particularly if we have children, we must prepare ourselves to teach our children. True. And the reason grown folks don't know is because their parents did not know. And it's, and it's that they were just taught wrong. Yeah. Not that they were wrong, but they were taught wrong. So we pass on information to our children because we don't know, you know, what mama Nim and their mama Nim and their mama Nim, you know, Nim is everybody else, yeah. uh, taught us is what they got from that plantation. Yeah. And so we passed that that on, and we just accepted without question. Now, one of the hardest things that I've found, and I've talked to Joby about this too, is that I know for me, since I've started this business and started doing radio and things, it's so hard to have the right people around you. It's hard to find people, black people, who they really are down for the cause without looking for something that's only going to be beneficial to them. Anytime I promote my podcast and what I'm trying to do, it's not just about me. It's not about me. Anybody that works with me, I don't have an agenda of let me use you to get where I'm going. Let me step on your neck to get where I'm going. But the thing that I found out working with a lot of black people is like it's hard to bring us together. Like you said, it's almost like we hate each other to where we don't even want to help each other out. And and the message has been preached over and over again. You can get further together than you can by yourself. But it's like we speak that and say, oh, we want to help somebody. Oh, we want to do this and help our black communities. But we only do it with an agenda in mind to say, look at me. Yeah. So how do I mean, how do you even change that? And the thing about it is when you address that to these black people, they don't see it. Willie Lynch is in full effect. Willie Lynch is, is this concept of 
pitting us against each other based on differences, based on age, based on religion, based on skin tone, hair texture, uh, uh, where you work, your income, all of these things. Yeah. Prior to integration, we worked together because we had to. We lived next door to each other. You had the professional living next to the domestic worker, and it was not an issue. But now we think we've overcome. So we move away from us. And there is, in most areas, there is a small, what I call, Africana community. Yeah. And I'm a part of that community. I'm very, very pleased to say this. We assist each other. Yeah. And we understand who and whose we are, and it's always a challenge to educate others because, again, we're in this society that does not appreciate or value us, and so we don't appreciate or value us I'll either. Us, yeah. So, you know, we just have to make those connections. And a good place to find like-minded people is in a black-owned bookstore. Yeah. Le uh, uh, various lectures, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Kwanzaa is, is going on today in Fort Worth at the Austin Center. Uh, the Doc Bookshop is having a speaker there tonight. Uh, Asher Quasi is speaking in Dallas tonight at the Old Friendship West on Keast. So there are things that are go going on. Kwanzaa is coming up uh, week after next, both in Dallas and mm -hmm. Fort So, So there are spaces that we can go and find each other. Yeah. We just got to look. So let me say this because, you know, I, I, I like and I'm all for black people, but this is the reality is. And the reality is a lot of times these black businesses be bullshit. And what I mean by that is I support black business. I do and I try to do what you say do. Um, but what about it, sometimes it's hard like you try to go to a barber to cut your hair. It's late. You go to the black side of town and you eat at a restaurant that's on the white side of town. And I, I live on the black side of town. And I know sometimes like I can go somewhere as simple as Whataburger. And it's like somebody done threw my sandwich together and it looks like shit. And then I go on the white side of town and it's fresh. Not knocking black people, but a lot of times with the business, it's all about how you present it. And do you take pride in it? Which I think it goes back to what you said. Caring enough about ourselves and our communities to where we take care of it. I know even where I live, it's a nice area. And a lot of times I'll see people just throw trash out the window. And I'm like, what the? Like, what? this? You live here. You live here, but you're throwing trash out on the street. Like, one lady literally drove by the front of my house. I looked out the window, and she had literally opened her car door up and threw it out. It's okay. Your phone can ring on here. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This ain't CBS. But, you know, you it's just funny because it's like I feel like we want people to, and I'm like you. I have the same mindset of, like, supporting black and helping blacks out. But a lot of times it's like when are we going to start helping ourselves? People, like, even me, like, I do photography. Me and Brian work and try to do the photography and, and whatever other business, even Artesia. And it's like people, black people always want a discount. Hey, I, I can get, I, I want pictures. All right, that'll be 150. One, uh, can I get 75, 50? You go to the white side of town and you ask for headshots, they're going to hit you for 350 to 500. And people pay for that because of quality. And I try to tell people, this is quality here as well. We've spent money on these on, on the setups and the things that you need to make things sound better, better microphones, better quantity, you know, not quantity, but quality of things. And it's like black people always want a damn hookup. So for me, I'm like, I support that, but... It's hard to do these things or continue to do these things or continue to pour into black people and black communities when we don't even appreciate ourselves. Certain black people. Certain black people. Certain, True. Not all black people. Because I'm not one of them. Because, see, some of us understand what business is. Yeah. You know, so, so, so we have to be careful with how we categorize folks. True. Because you got some people who just, they don't understand business. And, yeah, yeah they want a hookup because yeah. they think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a hookup. Uh-uh. No. A brother, a sister, uh, this is the cost, this is what you're going to pay. This is why we have contracts. Yeah. 
So, yeah, no hookups. I, and and I'm, I'm sure you've even had to deal with that being a professor. You know, somebody come in and they probably speak to you a certain way like, ah, oh, I got a black teacher. Yeah, it's going to be good. Like, no, you're still here to learn. The first day of class, I make it very clear yeah. who I am and what I'm about. And I end my presentation with don't start none. Won't be none. Won't be none. <laughs> That's very true. You did do that. You did. That's do that. right. And and you know, I will work with you. Yeah. But you will not punk me. Yeah. I agree. Under any circumstances, you know, I understand that stuff happens to people. Yeah. I have colleagues who could care less if your work schedule changed and you can't come to class. Very true. And they will not work with you. I have, I have colleagues who care less if you lost someone in your family and you're grieving. I have you know you know I've had students who disappeared and I, I'm I'm looking for them. Well, they had some tickets out, and the popo came and got them. So they sitting up in the <laughs> county, county. county jail, and, and this happens. Yeah. I've, I've had students like, where have you been with well, Dr. Hill? And they tell me. Yeah. I'm like, and then they want to show me the paperwork. It's like, okay, uh-huh. But you make people feel comfortable enough to do that, because I know when my work schedule changed, I missed class for like two weeks. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I remember telling Artesi, I said, I got to reach out to her. I don't want her to think, you know, whatever, because I know I was I know I was the oldest guy in the class far as male's perspective, too. And I was just like, well, I don't want her to think, you know what I'm saying, that I don't respect what she's doing. And I remember emailing you, and I was like, hey, I'll be there on this day. Or if I came in on a project day or a presentation day, I would try to stay most of the class and then leave, you know, enough time to get to work on time. And you did understand that, and I appreciate that. But it, it, I, I just wish black people would stand by, some black people would stand by their word. And like I say, for me, I only can go off my personal experiences of uh, people I've interacted with as far as who say they want to do something or something comes out their mouth that their actions mean something else. And I, I literally have to take mental health days to be like, I need to re-energize myself to know that not all black people are this way. And I have to do the same thing about white people and just society, period. I took a vacation to California this week, uh, this uh, summer because I was like, it was too much race in the South, too many black people getting killed. And I know California is a place where like, you know, everybody goes and they're a little bit more free-spirited. And when I went, it was totally different. And it, it kind of rejuvenated me and refreshed my mind and my spirit and I was able to come back and deal with this kind of stuff again. Uh, how much time do we have with you today? I know you said you had something to do at three. You good? Mm -hmm. The reason I say that is because I want to get into the white privilege while we have Joby here and bring him into the conversation and I wanted to get his uh, mindset on it and you know kind of give our two cents on it as well. The reason I added white privilege uh, this week was because I finally got to see the white, I think it was white people documentary. And I was watching that documentary and this shit was crazy. It was one part where the white girl was like, oh, you know, I feel, I'm feeling like I'm oppressed. And when she said that, I'm sorry, man. I was like, what the fuck do you know about oppression? Hey, I don't claim all of us, okay? There's people where I'll say, like, the white people that jump out of planes, I'm like, no, that's that's not me, guys. Yeah. I'm keeping myself grounded. I'm not jumping out of a plane that works. I don't get it. So what when you hear white privilege, and I know you've heard it before, like what is what does that mean to you? And do you feel like you have experienced the benefit of white privilege at times? I mean, definitely. I, I know I, when I walked in, I introduced myself to Dr. Hill, um, one of her lovely friends that asked me about it and asked if it was real. And I mean, I do believe it's real. Yeah. Um, there are certain aspects of things that happen, whether it be getting pulled over, job opportunities, and things like that, where you know that people do look at you differently, especially because yeah. I'm a white male. Yeah. You know, they, they do because, you know, I'm so, so on the hierarchy of this awesomeness, apparently, but yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't see it that way. And yeah. I think that's one of the problems with society is that they really, like Dr. Hill was saying, they don't try to help each other anymore. And I had uh, my freshman year of college, one of my history teachers 
was talking about the recession we were going through at the time. And he said, the reason we will struggle so much with this is because when we had the first recession, people thought they were the problem. Nowadays, everybody else is looking for someone else to be the problem. To be the fall guy. Like, I scored bad on my test. Well, that's because my teacher didn't teach me. Yeah. Not because I was in the back sleeping or talking to this girl or doing this. Yeah. It was because you didn't teach me right, and that's just not right. So, when, because I know for me, when I think about white privilege from just being a black man job-wise, and I, I've talked to you about it, I was like, dude, I feel like I have an impeccable resume. I have... You know, I've been in finance. I told you I'd hire you if I could, like, three yeah. or four times and not at an entry-level position. No, I understand. And it's, like, one of those things to where you go into meetings. Like, I know I had an interview with CBS last year, and it was one of those things to where I probably could have got it, but it was one, you willing to cut your hair? And I'm like, why would I cut my hair to work? It has nothing to do with my performance. I'm not ghetto, whatever that means. I'm not hood, whatever that means. So I was like, what is it that you see that makes you feel like I'm not capable outside of my hair same thing with richard's group and you know it's fascinating you say that because i have a beard it's quite kind of untamed at times and when i go on an interview yeah it's nice and trim but when i go to meetings with the eds and vps in my it'll be like this they never say one word yeah. to me. but if it was a black man with a beard and long hair it's something it's it's a problem and it's one of those things to where like it it, it just gets old because like i said when i went to the richard's group i had an interview and I, when i do interviews i don't feel like it's my resume that's on trial. I feel like it's me. You know, like when I walked, like when I had the interview at the Richards Group, the first girl was a white girl, younger white girl, probably like 26. And I won her over because she graduated from UTA where I go. And we, we, you know, we were able to converse about that. The second guy came in, it was a white guy, another white guy, he was gay. I didn't know he was gay, but he was asking me, what are the things that you want to do if we were to hire you here at the Richards Group, which is the biggest marketing firm in Texas. So. I gave him a couple ideas and I pitched him an idea about, you know, like doing a documentary with homeless people. And I wanted to do a documentary like about homosexuality and what makes people be, you know, whatever. And I didn't know he was gay. And he came out and he was like, well, you know, I think that was that's great. And he kind of divulged, you know, he didn't come out and say it, but I knew what he was insinuating. So I won him over. Then I got to another lady. It was a white lady. First thing she said when she met me was she was like, I love your hair. And I stopped her. I said, before we start, where are you from? Are you from up north or like the west or the east coast? She's like, oh, I'm from Chicago. I was like, I knew that. And she's like, how do you know? Because down in the south, they ain't going to compliment you on your hair. It's what is that? How did you do that? Do you have to take it down when you watch it? It's always questions of inquiring, not just a compliment and moving on. So I won her over through just open dialogue. The last person was a Hispanic lady, and she pretty much questioned everything about me, what I wanted to do, told me I didn't know what I wanted to do, and she was supposed to send me something to, to try to come back and have another interview, and it never happened. So what I say, I'll let to say, I knew what I wanted to do. I had the credentials that they were looking for. I had the experience that they wanted to in marketing and creativity, but I didn't get the job. And it's one of those things at some point, and anybody who knows me, I don't play the race card like that. I only play the race card when the race card needs to be fucking played. And when I do interviews, I feel like it is race. When I get pulled over because I drive a decent car, I pull a race card. When I'm walking through a store or walking or like when the times I've dated white women and I get pulled over and a white woman's in my car, it's the officer doesn't ask me about anything about how fast I was driving. It's ma'am, are you okay? Why the fuck was she be? What does she look like? She's tied up. You know what I'm saying? So it's those things that where I feel like white privilege, like from the documentary, white people, the one white guy was like, oh, I don't really give a shit about anything else that goes on with anybody else because it doesn't directly affect me. Or when I see these things on TV, pretty much about like, you know, the bombings or things that African people go through or black people go through, it doesn't bother them because it doesn't directly affect them. But that's not true because it 
it may in a very small ripple way it will affect you in how certain people do perception yeah true because they see okay i've been taught by the media that this person acts this way and you know to me that's a lazy way to say all oh, the media this they show me this they show me this they show you that because that's what you're going to watch yeah so really it's you yeah stop watching about that they'll stop putting it on but you watch and that's why they put it on and that's one of the things i really didn't like and you saw media. you saw the documentary right i no, i hadn't seen it yet okay you got to watch it was another part where this white girl like this gay guy went off to to college and he introduced his black friends to his white friends they came and ate dinner and the white girl had never really been around uh, black people and she was like well you know i just had the perception that black people were ghetto or ratchet or something and the black girl started crying and the other black girl was like why would you say that do do you know us have you do you know anybody and she's like well it was just from what i saw on like housewives now I, and when i saw that i was like okay i get what she's saying but if you go watch housewives of orange county or whatever they doing the same shit that the black women are doing on their tv shows but it's never portrayed that way right. it's just like when you hear black women talk to you know like especially like early 2000s late 90s black women in these rap videos shaking their ass looking like sluts and money people pouring by who are in these videos now all these white girls but they're look you see that white bitch with that fat ass it ain't nothing derogatory about them they just fine but when the black woman was doing it in the early 2000s and the late 90s it's trash and they're whores and they're this but the white girls are video models. They're models. They're not like IG a, models. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, yeah. And it's just like that's the part of white privilege where it's like you can do the same shit. Black dudes like to smoke marijuana. White people from that I know like to snort coke. Black men like to cheat. White men to take care of a whole another family and have an affair. It's like put all put everybody's shit on blast. Like it's like 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 uh when Martin Luther King said in one of his speeches, when people talk about black, it's sinister, it's ugly, it's it's something derogatory. When it's white, it's pristine, it's a dove, it's Jesus, it's Santa Claus. Like that's the thing that gets me because people would like to say, even some black people that are brainwashed will be like, Oh, you're taking it too far. It's not that big. Yes, it is, bro. And see it's funny you say that because I graduated from a high school that was full of minorities, blacks and Mexicans, we had five white guys on the football team i've always gotten along with minorities better than i do white people yeah i always have all my friends now not too many white people but when i went off to college i went down to texas a&m commerce and it was really a culture change because there were certain ways i was given a free pass to use the n-word because i was one of the boys yeah i did it with them because that's what we did i admit it i did it i'm not gonna say it on yeah. the radio though yeah but uh <laughs> You know, when I went to Commerce, I really had to tone it down because there were a lot of those guys had grown up in Greenville, and Greenville's yeah. not like Garland. I no, mean, it's not. There's it's like Texarkana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I mean it's crazy. And I remember one time I was talking to somebody I had just met in a kinesiology class, and I said it because we were talking about someone I knew back home, and I said it, and he looked at me and he goes, "I know you don't mean it the way these people down here do." He said, because of the way you said it, he said, I know you don't mean it. He said, but I wouldn't say that. Don't say it again. Yeah. I had to say that to, uh, before. we got to take a quick break. But I remember this past semester, uh, it was this white chick in the radio hall. And she always hangs around black people. And she was just like, Careful. she said something about nigga. And this guy, this black guy was like, don't say that shit again. So then the conversation just went on. She's talking. And I went to her and I said, so-and-so. Kind of like old boy said to you, I said, I get what you're doing. I understand. I said, but you cannot say that shit. I said, I'm not the type of black person that's going to, like, slap you or choke you, but I'm not. All black people are not like me. She slipped up and said the shit again. Dude, black dude got up, 
real calm, took the uh, top off the uh, hand sanitizer, opened up her coffee before she got ready to drink and took it out of her hand and just dashed the shit in the coffee. He said, I told you not to say that fucking shit no more. And in a way, she deserved it because you... you I was Somebody put it in her mouth, kind of like cleaning her nah, mouth. He probably would have been in jail if she he <laughs> did that. Right. Yeah, yeah, he would have been in jail. Right. So he, him doing that was good enough to get her point. And it was one time I saw her again, like a couple weeks later, and she almost said it. And I looked at her, and she's caught herself. And it's like, okay, somebody conditioned you to a little bit to say, don't say that. Uh, uh. All right, man. And that concludes the show. We did a micro version today for the holidays. The reality is we're Field to Become Extinct Podcast, and we appreciate you guys for coming out and listening and supporting the podcast. We'll definitely be back at the top of 2016 with more fire shows, with more in-tune, in-depth shows, and the shows that you guys love to hear. First and foremost, I want to thank Dr. Safisha Nazinga Nzinga Hill for coming out to the studio today to help us out to explain to us what Kwanzaa means and what it's about. I want to thank the homeboy, Joby Edwards from Rockwall, Texas for gracing us with, uh, with his presence today. And I just want to say thank you to the realists, to our listeners, to our supporters who have supported this podcast through the whole 2015 year. We couldn't have did it without you guys. 41 shows this year. 41 shows we are excited about 50 and 100 and then 115 which means we'll be back around this bitch in 2016 still bringing you great shows great conversation great music and more live shows i want to thank my squad man my podcasting squad that helps me get through every week every month with the content and i want to start by thanking my administrative consultant artesia swindle for putting all this stuff together man putting all the live shows together helping me get the guests in the studio I want to give a shout out to the homeboys, man, Christian Evans and Gary Green, who helped me start this thing off from University of Texas Radio and iHeartRadio. I appreciate you, boys. Shout out to San Antonio. I want to thank the homie Brian Fuller, who always holds me down, man. He always got my back with the photography, with helping me edit the shows. I love you, bro. I want to give a shout out to Gabrielle Johnson, who came on board mid-season and helped us with the writing for the website. With some of the content we put on the shows I appreciate you I want to thank my longtime friend Producer of the show Jessica Henderson man I appreciate you for stepping in And making this shit seem effortlessly On shit that I was struggling on Thank you for helping me with the cohesiveness I want to give a shout out to Christian Coopwood I know you're in H-Town Be careful getting back here man I want to thank you for coming in And bringing your expertise in media To the podcast and helping us out I want to thank our followers, our listeners. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. But I want to thank you guys for supporting us through 2015. And no, we're going to be back in 2016 and we're going to be in that thing strong. So with no, with, with nothing else to say, but I love you guys. And we look forward to 2016. Inhale courage to exhale success. Blow. Today on News 4 at 4, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. 
Tonight, it's the Voice Live Rounds, and Nick Jonas wants his first win. Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your faves. The Voice Live Rounds, tonight on NBC. Today on News 4 at 4, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. Tonight, it's the Voice Live Rounds and Nick Jonas wants his first win. Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your faves. The Voice Live Rounds, tonight on NBC.